Hello, I'm your host, John Sayers, and I am the Angry Tenor. I sang for more than 30 years in opera houses from Copenhagen to Munich, from New York to San Diego. I have worked with many well-known singers, stage directors, and conductors. After I retired from singing, I spent 10 years editing and writing The East Sider, an arts and entertainment newspaper in South Florida. I also created, produced, and presented The Opera Minute for NPR on the Treasure Coast. I am angry at stage directors who insist on using electric cars in a production of Carmen. When I left my first theater in Germany, they signed me to a long-term guest contract so that I could come back and finish singing all of the performances left in Otello, as well as anything else that may come along. And the first thing that came along on that guest contract was a production of Carmen. Now, I was already singing Carmen in Munich, so I was pretty well familiar with it. In Munich, we did the dialogue version, although an abridged version And the production they were going to do in this other theater was the recitative version. And so I had to learn the recitatives. Not a big deal. And it came in handy, actually, because later I did a lot of Carmen's where they use the recitative, mixed in with Carmen's where they use the dialogue, mixed in with Carmen's where they cut a large section of the Escamillo Don Jose duet, and other productions where they sang the whole thing. So, in reality, the lesson to be learned from this is that when you learn a role, learn the whole thing. It's much easier to leave things out than it is to put new in. But the interesting thing about this, Carmen, was the use of an electric car to bring Escamillo on stage. And it was one of these... uh, Uh, very luxurious, long cars with uh, a convertible, of course. And uh, he drove it on stage, and then he stood up and sang his aria. And then when he was done with the aria and all of the other stuff that comes right after his aria, he was to get in his car for his exit and drive it off. Now, this was a pretty big stage. Um... I don't remember what the proscenium was, but it, it was it was pretty it was a pretty big stage, and they had it worked out so that he drove on, stopped at a particular point, sang his aria, did all the other stuff, got back in his car, and drove off. But only from that exact spot could he do that. I thought, well, that's pretty amazing. I'm glad I didn't have to do that because I'm sure that what I would do would be to drive it right into the orchestra pit. So one night when I was singing, 
we had a guest, Escamillo. And I thought, oh no, it can't possibly happen. But without telling the story, it did happen. So let me tell you how it happened. Well, anyway, I got together with the Escamillo. We went over our duets, the stuff that we had together. And uh, he had already been warned and had practiced with the car. And I asked him how he felt about it. And he said, he was okay. He was a little nervous. He said, he said he'd never, he's never driven a car on stage before. Well, who has, actually? That leads me to another story I'll get to another time. So we came along. Everything was going along smoothly until we got to this, to Mescamillo's entrance. And he came in and, well, he drove in all right. But I noticed that he missed his spot as to where he was supposed to park the car right in the middle of the stage, actually, but it was a little bit too far forward. So he sang all of his stuff and everything, and uh, I tried to warn him. I, I tried everything I could think to do to tell him that he has a problem, that he should back up and then go forward. But he didn't see me. And so when he went to drive off, the wheel fell into the pit. Well, fell over the edge of the pit, over the edge of the stage and hung down into the pit. You should have seen, you should have seen those cello players scramble. Man, I didn't know they could run so fast, especially carrying a cello. Everybody scattered down there. And of course, the whole production came to a stop. They had to get the crew. They had these two really big, burly guys came out and the, the two of them went up there and lifted it up brought it back on stage and I thought now if he tries to drive it off but no he didn't they pushed it off the stage and the opera went on and came to a suitable conclusion with Escamillo killing the bull and I killed Carmen but that was very close to Escamillo actually killing the orchestra. Vestila Juba from Lian Cavallo's I Pagliacci, sung in German, as it was normally done when I was singing there. The, the operas would be sung in the language of the audience. Uh, that was the case throughout most of Europe, actually, uh, up until the time when they finally perfected the surtitles, and in which case everybody could go back to singing in the original language. I much prefer hearing things in the original language, but in those days, that's the way it was. So singers like me, we often had to learn 
operas in more than one language, at least two languages, and sometimes three. It brings me around to this story. I had a reputation of being able to jump into an opera at the last moment without a lot of preparation, without a lot of rehearsal. In fact, most of the time with no rehearsal. I had 10 or 12 operas, 10 or 12 roles that I carried in my repertoire that I could sing at a moment's notice, which made it fairly easy to do that. And it just, I don't know, it just it just felt natural to me. So I did a lot of it. And although I have lots of stories to tell about jumping into productions at the last minute, although I have lots of stories I could tell, there's one in particular that I was thinking of with this, uh, with this um, recording of Pagliacci. And that's when I was called to sing in Copenhagen. Now, I was living in the vicinity of Frankfurt, Germany at that time. And I was called, oh, it must have been about 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and asked if I could sing the next evening. And, of course, I said, no problem. I had nothing on my schedule. And uh, I would be more than happy to go up and sing in Copenhagen. Then the next question was, and this came from my agent, of course, the next question was which language I wanted to sing in. Well, that kind of took me a little bit by surprise. I don't think I've ever been actually asked that before. But as it turns out, they sing everything in Danish. And it's pretty hard to find guest singers who already know a particular opera in Danish. So they've come to expect them to sing in the language that they, that they know the opera in. And I was told German or Italian, either one would be okay with them. So I picked Italian, of course. Always better to sing in the original language. And the next morning, I flew up in one of these old twin-engine Fokker airplanes. It was quite a, it was quite a, quite a flight up from Frankfurt to Copenhagen. Uh, those things will, will certainly have an effect on your ears if you're not careful. They are very loud. And I arrived late morning. The Copenhagen opera people had been very kind. They arranged for a place to stay right right down. And I can always picture down, I can't remember the name of the hotel, but it was down on, on that slip where you always see these sailing vessels tied up. So it was very nice. And uh, they set on a rehearsal for me for 2 o'clock. And uh, they said the cast would be there. And I thought, well, that's not necessary, but okay. So I went to the rehearsal. I was introduced to everybody, and we were just going to go quickly through the areas that I had to do with. But the first time the Netta opened her voice, opened her mouth, and sang her lines in Danish, I really thought I was not going to be able to go on much further. Um, it was such a strange sound. And as I don't mean to, to denigrate the Danish language or anything, but it just wasn't what I was used to. So I was very, very happy that they had called this rehearsal because it gave me the opportunity to get used to hearing the various characters singing in a language I did not understand. So we finished the rehearsal, and I went back to the hotel and took a little, a little snooze and then came in for the performance and went through all the rigmarole of getting ready for a performance when the prompter came to me. And uh, she said, 
here is the score I'm using. Is this okay with you? I took a look at it. It was a standard Italian score. Uh, and I said that was fine. We were actually singing in a theater in Tifoli, the Tifoli Gardens in Copenhagen, which are really very beautiful. It's a big amusement park, actually. But there's an old theater that dates back into the 1900s that is just absolutely gorgeous. Seats about 2,000, 2,300 people and has a huge pit, huge stage. The prompter is featured prominently right in the middle of the stage. So we went through the performance and everything went just fine. Yeah, they did a cavalleria ahead of it, of course. And everything was just fine. And we were standing behind the curtain taking our curtain calls. And I was waiting while everybody else took their curtain calls when the prompter came up to me. She had the score open. And she was pointing to one word. I believe it was a la. And she said, I'm terribly sorry, but this is actually low. You got this wrong. I said, well, gee, thank you very much. Um, anything else? And she said, no, that was the only one. And I said, thank you. I will keep that in mind the next time I'm singing this opera in Italian. So <laughs> it was kind of funny. I thought I made it all the way through it. At that time I was singing, you know, I might sing four or five performances in Italian a year in of that particular opera. And uh, the rest of the times was probably in German. Uh, Pagliacci is actually one, one opera which I had a third language. I have sung it in English. But over in Europe, they never asked me to do that. And that makes me angry. Another story about Carmen. When you're rehearsing a new production, the first thing you do is when you go in and do your contract, you put in all of the performances that you know of that you have during the rehearsal period so that they can plan around that because they have to give you that time off to go sing those performances, even if they are in another theater. So I was rehearsing a new production uh, around Dusseldorf, and I had to fly down. I had to get to Munich. I had to get to Munich for a per performance of Carmen. So normal rehearsal schedule at that time in Germany was 10 to 2, and then again in the evening from 7 to 10. I was excused from the 7 to 10 rehearsal, but I had to make the morning rehearsal from 10 to 2. So in order to make it from Dusseldorf to Munich, I had to fly after the rehearsal was over. And they, you know, they were very good. They, they knew I had to leave. They ended it a little bit early. But I had a reservation to fly. I went to the airport and got on the plane. And I knew I was going to have to change planes in Frankfurt. So we flew down to Frankfurt. I got off at the 
in the terminal, went over to the desk and registered for the flight to Munich, and they told me it had been canceled. Now, that's the one thing a singer never wants to hear, that your flight to a performance that evening has been canceled. So I explained the situation to the agent there, and she said, well, just give me a second. And uh, she found another flight that was going to Munich. Uh, Left a little bit later than the other one, but it still got me there uh, in time for a 7.30 curtain. And then, of course, that flight was late. And by the time I got to Munich, it was 6.30. And I still had to get to the theater. And, of course, I had been in contact with the theater, though we didn't have cell phones in those days, through payphone. And uh, I had a rehearsal scheduled for 7 o'clock with a new Michaela. Well, obviously, I wasn't going to make that. So we flew in. Uh, It was a little after 6.30. Certainly, it was about quarter of 7 when I got out of the airport into a cab. And I hadn't eaten anything, because they don't give you anything to eat on these inter-European flights. They just give you a little snack, maybe, if you're lucky. So I had the cab driver pull into, of all places, a McDonald's. Now, they didn't have a drive through I had to get out, go in. And I got uh, four cheeseburgers, or whatever it was. I came back in and uh, went on to the theater while I finished my, my dinner. I arrived at the theater about 7.20, maybe a little bit later than that. Uh, They were waiting at the stage door for me with costumes, wig, makeup. And as we went to the dressing room, they were throwing all this stuff on me. At one point, I was almost naked walking down the hallway, I think. And uh, as we made it to the dressing room, and they were putting the final touches on my makeup and trying to secure the wig properly and, and, and all of this, the overture started. Now, they had been told I was in the building, so they assumed there would be no problem. And they were right. There was no problem. I, uh, I made the entrance, and uh, everything went fine. Uh, the new Michaela uh, turned out to be a... Well, how should I say this? She was a dud. She, I, 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 I remember describing her voice to friends who had, were out in the audience as being pipsqueak. And uh, light voice Michaelis never go well against me because although I can bring my voice down to a, a, a low level, uh, I could never get down to match the, that voice. At any rate... We made it through the first act. Uh, intermission was then delayed and delayed and delayed. I couldn't figure out why. And then the conductor came down. He was also the music director, the general music director of the theater. And he apologized for everything being late. He said, but I was talking about you. And I said, about me? And he said, yes. The young Michaela's teacher was in the audience, and she is furious that you completely covered up her student. And I said, well, her student should have sung out more then. Um, but this was supposedly a famous, a famous person whose name I cannot remember at this time. 
But she threatened to sue the theater, as I recall. Yeah, I don't, don't, I don't think she threatened to sue me, but and she did threaten all kinds of trouble for the theater. But we went on with the performance, and everything ended up just fine. Uh, I went back to rehearsal. On Thursday, we got to do it all over again. Uh, exact same routine, except this time, my flight went through. Landed in Frankfurt, changed planes, made it to Munich with plenty of time to spare, made it to the rescheduled rehearsal, in which I told this music singer exactly what I thought, in front of the student, unfortunately, because she started attacking me immediately. I came in, and I told her, I said, I'm not going to put up with this. I said, I won't put up with this at any time, let alone half an hour before performance. So let's run through the music, and then let's go do the performance. And that's what we did. I never heard anything else of it. The Michaela, well, she never sang Michaela again. And she never sang a role of any substance. And as long as I was at that theater, I never saw that. She sang Compromario roles and maybe other little small parts here and there. But that was about all she did. But that was my experience in trying to coordinate all of these rehearsals and performances together. It sometimes is very difficult, and that makes me angry. This has been the show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, I wanted to give you, if you have comments to make, I hope you do, um, to send them to me, send them to my email, and uh, let me know if you want them put on the, uh, on the podcast, and I will put them on. If you don't, please say that also, and I won't. But the, uh, the email address is heldentenore at att.net. That's heldentenore, H-E-L-D-E-N-T-E-N-O-R-E at att.net. It's, it's kind of a mixture of Heldon and, and, and the Italian tenore because when I tried to use uh, tenor or something like that, they were always taken. When I went to Heldon tenor, that was always taken. But when I kind of put the two together, the tenore, even tenore was taken. When I put tenore and Heldon together, huh, I got through. So it's a little difficult, to, especially for non-musical people, when they, when they ask me for my email address. Uh, they usually have trouble understanding it and I usually have to spell it out for them so once again if you have a comment please send it to me at heldentenore at att.net and let me know whether you want it on the podcast or rather uh, if you would wish that uh, that I just don't and I will honor your wishes of course so I'm John Sayers and I am the angry tenor <laughs> Oh, <laughs> 
Yeah. 